0: and steel podcast again and today we're covering the civil war right chinese civil war yes okay you can go ahead carl
1: oh so thank you again for inviting me to your show um so last time we talked about the japanese occupation which was a pivotal event in the modern chinese history um in we started to talk about uh, kind of the end of the the Japanese uh, occupation uh, at the end of World War II, and then the beginning of the Chinese Civil War. So, as we talk about uh, in the last episode, um, you know, during the Japanese occupation, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party uh, they made so they made uh, a choice with the KMT government. And, you know, after the Xi'an incident in 1937, after Chiang kai shek was basically uh, kidnapping a coup and uh, basically forced to agree to form a united front with the Chinese Communist Party, that, uh, you know, the the, the Red Army was uh, reorganized and rebranded as the Eighth Route Army of the KMT. I mean, nominally pledged its allegiance to the the central government under Jiang Kai-shek, but it retained its own independent structure. Um, but it gained legitimacy, right, as a, as a legitimate actor in, in China. And very soon after that, in 1937, the full-scale war with Japan broke out. And at the time, much of China, much of North China was actually... Uh, ruled by warlords who had pledged uh, nominal allegiance to Zhang sheks Nanjing government, uh, but had you know retained a lot of autonomy. What the Japanese invasion did is to remove all that uh, political structure um, that all the you know the the, the Chinese warlord army uh, you know didn't put. Up much of resistance uh-huh. when when the when the Japanese invaded northern uh-huh. China, and so there was uh, there you know there was a lot of chaos when the Im- Jap- imperial Japanese army marched in, and so so there <laughs> existed a, a, a power vacuum in this chaos, and the communists used this uh, leverage this situation, they're sending a lot of their cadres and. And also the, the Red Army veterans into the occupied areas to set up uh, set up spaces. Um, this this I mean, like in in So you know, in response to this, you know, the, the Japanese actually waged a very brutal um, scorched earth campaign against the the communist guerrillas. There was so called the three all campaign. You know, that's that's uh, burn all, loot all, kill all, um, and and basically a collective punishment for on the on the Chinese peasantry for supporting the communist guerrillas. But as the war drew to a close, I have a question. Uh, you know, yeah, go ahead.
0: How many people did the Japanese um, kill during this uh, occupation?
1: So this is hard to quantify. One of the reasons is because this is during the war. Uh, for even before the war, you know, China was not unified. There was not, like, a, there was no national census taken, right? And then, you know, during the war, all that, in, you know, there's no accurate record keeping, right? But we, we do know mm-hmm. approximately, you know, World War Two. you um, According to the most estimate, the the loss of uh, a a life in China ranged somewhere between, you know, 25 to 30 million people.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, that's... The the reason I say that, I feel like some, like here in the West, they put those numbers on Mao, right? They're like, oh, Mao killed, you know, 100 million people. I'm like, I don't think so. You know, I really do feel like they they use Chinese, I mean, uh, Japanese occupation numbers and somehow, you know, mental gymnastics on and put it on, on Mao or something. But yeah, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's important to recognize because especially in U S right. We hear, when we talk about world war two, we talk about what uh, Pearl Harbor and then Normandy landing. Right. And Mm -hmm. then, and then somehow Island uh, hopping campaign in the Pacific we're actually not aware of a lot of the sacrifices made by uh, then allied nations like Soviet Union and China. I mean, the, the, the only time I remember in, in mass culture uh, in recent years that, that, that uh, you know, the China was even mentioned was in the movie Pearl Harbor when the, the Doolittle raid, after their bombing of Tokyo, that the, the pilots crash landed in China, right? And and so that that was actually a very part very important part of the World War II story. Um, it's just not often told in in United States, um, and 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 because the, you know the emphasis was more placed on the U.S. involvement in the war, and and you know China of course incurred a huge uh, you know a, a huge huge. Uh, um, a a cost right because you know most of the war was carried on on chinese soil i mean there were anywhere between two to three million uh imperial japanese soldiers were stationed in china at any time and by toward end of the world war ii japan had to withdraw some of their uh, resources Shift them to you know occupation of Southeast Asia, and then uh, to fight the Pacific War against the United States. So e- to make up for the the, the um, you know the, the the man shortage, you know th- what what the Japanese did is they shift the veterans units out of China, and then start replacing them with um, with like re- raw recruits of like young boys and old men, and and this also after you know remember China has the war has been going on in China for a long time. I mean, it started really started in 1931 when when Japan occupied Manchuria, uh, and it, even after the full scale war broke out in 1937, that's still eight years to 1945, the Japanese surrender, right? And during this time. Uh, you know, the, the Chinese, uh, Chinese army, particularly the, uh, the Chinese communist army also got better at war fighting. Uh, they started to, you know, to, to, um, to learn how to cope with the Japanese tactics and how to fight, fight them more effectively. So, uh, uh, most importantly, it's, you know, the, the Japan never really controlled the countryside. They they control the big cities, they control all the transportation links. Um but the, the, the communists set up shadow government in, in the villages. You know, they, they were collecting taxes. So so there were uh oftentimes you know the, the villages are forced to uh you know, pay taxes to, you know, ja- the Japanese public government. Um but when the you know, when the Japanese tax collector leave, you know, it's, it's a communist who, who runs the villages. Right. Un, until maybe like when when the Japanese, um, the, the Japanese Imperial Army decided to do like a, a cleansing campaign. Um, and then this went back and forth until uh, end of the war. Basically, the communists control uh, much of the northern China countryside uh, the Japanese were limited their, their control were limited in the towns right in their the the, the the garrison were hold out hold out in you know hiding out in their bunkers and trying to guard the, the transportation uh, links between between of uh, their each holdout points now at end of 19 1945 when so we talk about you know we talk about this a little bit in the last episode um, you know what Japan did and they, they were uh, facing the, the the Japanese shipping from Southeast Asia where a lot of the vital resources for war like oil and rubber were based was being threatened by uh, uh, by uh, you know the American Navy and bombing so. Then what Japan in the last ditch effort in 1945, they launched a, a last offensive, the Ichigo campaign, trying to link up uh, their holdings in North China with South China and, and by extension, link up with their uh, colonies in Southeast Asia. So they were hoping to instead of rely on on uh, maritime shipping, they will, they will just rely on the railroad.
0: Yeah, we had okay. our interruption, so we're going to continue. All right, Carl, go ahead.
1: Um, so, you know, as uh, the Japanese did this last desperate uh, uh, campaign to link up their other land holdings in, in Asia, the, the, the KMT government under Chiang Kai-she was so inept, this, they suffer a catastrophic uh, defeat. Um, you know, there was, the only resistance was happening around this, uh, this town, Henyang in, in Hunan where all the you know the imperial Japanese army concentrated their attacks because that was the, the hub that was linking the railway from north to south China. The defenders actually put up a very heroic uh, defense holding out the, the, the Japanese attack for a month, you know, under chemical weapon attacks, etc. But the reinforcement from Chiang Kai-shek's army they instead of rushing into the city to rescue the defenders, they decided to um, sit and watch. They decided to sit and watch the Japanese uh, attack because all none of them wanted to risk their own uh, own army in the battle because KMT army was still very feudal in structure, right? Like each general, they have their own; they derive their power from. Um, Command of their own troops, and and the you know they did not want to basically sacrifice their own uh, own power base uh, for the sake of for the sake of war. Even though you know this is the, a life death struggle, and so what what ended up happening was you know Japan ended up taking this very strategic city in Hanyang and linking up the railroad and. Um, all the American air bases that were formerly stationed in China, like in, uh, in Guilin, in, in Guangxi, where they had been running uh, bombing runs against Japanese occupied territories as well as the Japanese mainland, those air ba- American air bases were overrun. And the, the U.S. President Roosevelt were so disappointed with the, the Chinese performance that they decided to reach out to Soviet Union, right? To, to Joseph Stalin, to basically invite Soviet Union to join the war against Japan. And um, at, at this point, you know, for uh, so the, the, during the negotiations, that Soviet Union demanded that uh, you know the shek Shet government must recognize uh, former independence of Outer Mongolia, as well as. Uh, basically recognized a special privilege of Soviet Union in Manchuria, northeast part of China. So northeast part of China, the Manchuria, was this area that was fought over by the Japanese and Russian empires, uh, you know, the early 1900s during the Russo-Japanese War. And, and the, you know, the, the, through defeating of Tsarist Russia, in Russo-Japanese War, Japan basically gained all the special trading privileges in Manchuria, and and you know Stalin wants basically um, to 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 restore um, those privileges, but you know transfer them to Soviet Union. This was agreed, and then in nineteen. 19- um, so in 1945, uh, August 1945, I'm sorry, let me go stop my, my dog from barking. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. Just, okay. just, just one second. Hello?
0: Yeah, I'm, at, yeah, I'm here.
1: Okay. Um, where should I restart? <laughs>
0: <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> just keep it's going? Okay. Yeah, have, the dog, yeah sometimes okay. my cat eats food here and I can hear the cat noise, so it's fine. So.
1: Okay, um, so in 1945, um, Soviet Union launched the August Storm in uh, August 1945 and declared war in Japan. And this one million Soviet army poured across the border uh, from, uh, you know, and invaded the Japanese-occupied Manchuria and this was very rapid event you know the, the soviet army were able to push all the way to basically uh outskirts of beijing um, within within a couple months. and and this is actually the reason why uh US made the decision to drop drop the atomic bomb on japan because they were um, they were afraid that the, the soviet union were making too much progress that that the you know that they will the Soviet Union will get uh, too much their share of the war, so they wanted to end the war quickly, and that was one of the major factors to to uh, basically bomb Nagasaki and Hiroshima with, with nuclear weapons. And this this prompt, of course, prompted the Japanese surrender in August fifteenth, nineteen forty five. And now you know the uh, now it's now the, the all sides have to decide what to do uh, in a post-war China. Now in um, the, the the Communist Party of China made a decision early on. Um, as soon as they learn about the Soviet invasion of Manchuria, they're going to send their best men and cadres into Manchuria. And so they they end up uh, sending sending hundred thousand troops, uh, light lightly equipped. And they actually order all of them to uh, leave their weapons behind, and and uh, basically uh, march as uh, civilians into Manchuria, into this uh, Soviet-occupied Manchuria, because the expectation is that they will uh, be taking over. Uh, the, the Japanese weapons and armories from the from the Red Army, and and then uh, you know the Kai Shis Army. On the other hand, the KMT they had um, most of the, the, the KMT army was in the southwest corner of China, right? Because at this time during the Japanese occupation, Japan took much of China except uh, like the southwest corner, you know, Sichuan, Yunnan. Guizhou, etc this is very mountainous part and and for uh for junkai shed they there's also a race to into the japanese occupied territories to taking as much territories as possible before the communists you know take over so then then, then kmt worked very closely with americans uh, us send in uh, flights and navy ships to ship Chiang Kai-shek's army from Southwest China to to various parts of uh, Japanese-occupied areas to accept the Japanese surrender. And in fact, the the Chiang Kai-shek issue a statement to the, the Japanese army remaining in China, asked them not to surrender to the communist representatives. You know, wait, <laughs> maintain control until we get here, right? Um, and so the race was on, and and in in the end, the, you know the 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 Communist Party of China decided that they were just gonna uh, they're not gonna wait. <laughs> uh, you, in, in the case where you know the, the Japanese commander complied with Jiang Kai She's uh, request to 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 retain control, they just decided uh, you know the, the, the Communists launched a major offensive and to, to to you know take over the Japanese. Japanese occupied towns because as uh, as I mentioned before you know the, the Communists are already retained control of much of the northern China countryside and and they just have to take out the the, the Japanese holdouts in in the towns and the cities and and in in, um, in Manchuria this was made much easier because you know the red the Soviet Red Army rode in and very quickly crushed the Japanese Kwantung army stationed there. And, and 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 another special note on manchuria is that this is where the war really started right like in 1931 japanese uh, japan began their invasion of china in, in manchuria and and uh, in the chaos when the uh, of the japanese invasion the, the manchurian warlord zhang shilian initially ordered no resistance to the Japanese advance because he wanted to resolve everything diplomatically, and that just enabled Japan to take over the whole area very quickly. This is a vast, uh, this is a vast area, almost the size of Alaska, very rich in resources, and and but some of the the Zhang Xueliang warlord Zhang Xueliang's uh, subordinates disagree with his policy, and they decided to just start to resist Japanese, but they they weren't very organized so so the, or, the so the, the resistance was short lived but then you know there were a lot of weapons and 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 men deserting uh, to form their own underground resistance and so the communist party of china in 1931 took the opportunity to uh, you know infiltrate into Manchuria to organize this um, this popular underground resistance that they formed this uh, northeast uh uh, uh, the resistance army, and uh, the also you know this included a lot of locals, including um, uh, uh, the, from the, the the Korean immigrant community, because you know there were a lot of the Korean refugees who was fleeing the the Japanese colonial rule in Korea. So they, they settled, the several millions of Koreans settled in Manchuria during this time. Including uh, Kim Yo-sun's uh, family, so Kim Yo-sun actually joined the Chinese Communist Party at the time, and he was a commander uh, in this uh, in the communist led guerrilla movement in Manchuria, and, and you know he commanded the Korean unit. But this this uh, the, 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 Japan, this is you know in preparation for Pearl Harbor, and they're pushed to the south. They. They concentrated um, their resources to wipe out the communist guerrillas in in northeast China, in Manchuria, and this basically forced the guerrillas to retreat into Soviet Union around 19, four, 1939, 1940 right? Just before the 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 the, so, the, the, the Nazi invasion of Soviet Union, um, but in nineteen forty five during the Soviet um, Invasion of Manchuria, these these Chinese and Korean communist guerrillas, they acted as guide uh, for the Red Army, you know, because they have local connection. That's one of the reasons why the 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 Red Army were able to advance very rapidly through through Manchuria because they have all these uh, local uh, resources. You know, they have their eyes on the ground, and and these these communist uh, Chinese communist. Uh, um in Manchuria they quickly linked up with uh, with the Communists uh in, in in other parts of China right they reach out to um to Mao and that's that's when the decision was sent to to send uh you know hundred thousand men into Manchuria from various communist bases in North China. Um, In the beginning, you know, the Soviet Union was a little bit hesitant um, about handing the control to the Chinese communists because they had a deal with Chiang Kai-shek, right? The deal was that Chiang Kai-shek would recognize uh, Mongolia's former independence and they will recognize the special Soviet privilege in Manchuria and in Xinjiang, northwest China. But what, what happened in the scramble after the war, you know, the Cold War was already beginning between the United States and, and Soviet Union. And in the process of uh, shipping Chiang kai um army from southwest China to the Japanese occupied areas, you know, American military were... St- Starting to spread out in many parts of China, you know. American Marines were stationed in many. All
0: right, we have a, we had another interruption. <laughs> so go ahead, go ahead, Carl. Um.
1: So as I was saying, um, the the race was on to control Manchuria because uh, as a great deal, the Soviet after. Uh, invasion of Manchuria Soviet Union agreed to withdraw after a certain time and then hand over the the control to the Chinese administration. Now the question is which Chinese administration right so you know the Communists were already sending hundred thousand men into Manchuria because they're physically closer you know from North China to Manchuria is just uh, they could just literally walk across. And, and in some some cases, just uh, it's a short hop, a ferry from the Sandong Peninsula across the sea. Uh, but for, for Zhang kai uh you know, he relied on the American uh, military, you know, the, the American Navy and American Air Force to airlift and ship a half million men, uh, some of his best crack troops into Manchuria. These are the the former Chinese expeditionary force that was sent to Burma um, to keep the Burma road open to, to, to supply uh, uh, China from, um, from the British territory. And, and the, the, you know, so, some of these, uh, the, the American, the, you know, eventually as like J- Japan took over Burma, the, Chinese expeditionary force was forced to withdraw into northeast India. That's where they have been re-equipped and retrained by Americans, and eventually they, you know, were able to push down from northeast India, taking over northern Burma, reopened the Burma Road. Uh, but by that time, you know, the Soviets already invaded Manchuria, and war was over, and then but these are the best troops of Jiang kai shek because they have the you know the latest they received the latest american equipment through the american land lease agreement and they were also american trained and and th- now keep in mind at the end of the war, at, at the end of the war um, you know Jiang kai shek's prestige was at all time high you know he was seen as the wartime leader of china that led china through this very difficult period but most people in China at the time, they were hoping a return to normalcy, right? Like end to war. Uh, of, you know, everybody was very eager for the peace to arrive. But instead of, uh, you know, reach some kind of negotiated political settlement with the, the Communist Party of China on, on the post-war restructuring of China, Chiang Kai-shek realized he has immense amount of, military power, you know, with, with this new American uh, hardware and with American support that he feels he could easily, um, you know, resolve the communist situation militarily. And, and so he, he decided to, you know, launch basically into this, into a civil war. And, and this, this, the, the early part of the the conflict was this race for Manchuria and and as I said, you know, the communists got a got advantage because they moved into Manchuria early on, and they their main problem was to convince the Soviets to hand over the territory and the Japanese weapons to them. But uh, you know, the Soviet had a deal with with KMT with Jiang Kai Shek that they will you know return everything to KMT in return for Jiang Kai Shek recognizing for the Soviet privileges in Manchuria and Xinjiang, and also allowing uh, recognized uh, 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 independence of outer Mongolia. But in the process of getting his troop to Manchuria, Jiang kai She relied on American military power. So, you know, American Marines got posted, you know, starting to get posted to places like Beijing and and the American Navy were shipping Jiang Kai troops into Dalian, right? The former port author. Um, th- those are areas is what uh, Stalin Joseph Stalin considered like the Soviet Union's sphere of influence, right? When when the American Navy is landing close to Manchuria or in Manchuria, um, they feel like you know, KMT was reneging on the deal. And, and the, the, given the, the larger background of the, the starting of Cold War worldwide, in the end, you know, the, the, the Soviet Red Army in Manchuria basically decided to turn a blind eye and, and allow the, the, the 100,000 um, communist forces that entered Manchuria basically to take over uh, the former um, Imperial Japanese armory and and uh some of the low um you know because the soviet union the red army was already re- relying on the, the 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 communist chinese communists to help them maintain control in manchuria so so in in the, the de facto control will start to pass into the hands of chinese communists and so when the kmt army Came to Manchuria to attend the formal for, formal ceremony, the handover ceremony from the from the Soviet Red Army to the KMT. They they saw um, the communist troops uh, setting up defense positions <laughs> around the city, and and so they were enraged, and they pulled out out of the talks and. And, and then the you know the, the, uh, the American Americans at the time they they tried to um, have Jun kai- She and Mao, Mao sit down to negotiate a political settlement because you know the Cold War was starting and and John, original American plan was to uh, have a Jun kai- She let China to become like American proxy in East Asia to be like American client state uh, against the Soviet influence. And they didn't want China itself to be involved in a civil war, right? They, 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 so they, they, they urged Chiang Kai shek to reach a political settlement with the with, uh, communists. And, and then, you know, Mao, the, the Americans guaranteed the personal safety of Mao. So Mao actually flew from the communist base in Yang'an to Chongqing. The, the, the wartime capital of China uh to 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 hold a political talks with um with the KMt with the uh, with the uh, with kai sheks government and so the both both sides um talking about possibility of forming a coalition government now this, like a lot of people were putting a lot of hope in this because no one want to continue the war. For for most people, they feel the war is over. The the Japanese surrendered, and now it's time to rebuild. And they couldn't agree. Um, There was a disagreement on on what the coalition government would look like because KMT insisted that the communists must disarm, right? So at this point, you know, the, the at the end of the war, communists already had hundreds of thousands of guerrillas under its command it's so a quite uh, formidable force compared to how they ended up uh, after long march right nineteen thirty five nineteen thirty six you know the com- there's only thirty thousand red army uh, you know survived the long march and then formed the base in northwest china but at the end of the w- end of the war end of uh, World War Two. There, there are several hundred thousand communist regular forces plus uh, uh, guerrilla forces all over North China. Um, P.M.T. wants communists to disarm as as a precondition for talk, and they also objected the you know because the, the, the communists uh, proposed a kind of a, a, a power sharing agreement where uh, you know what. Like the words, the communists will get up to one third in the in the future parliament, right? And and eventually the talk broke down because uh, on the ground there was a mad rush to grab territory, right? Both sides are rushing to into the Japanese occupied territory, trying to to establish facts on the ground. This this was. Not just happening in Manchuria. There was happening all over North North China. And and as the talks was going on, uh, conflict broke out between the KMT forces and the communist forces in Central China. And and also, the, you know the the. the the Chiang Kai-shek do not want to share any part of Manchuria with the communists because he realized the importance of of Manchuria, with ninety percent of the Chinese industrial output coming from that one place. And whereas the you know the communists they they wanted so they and then you know as the civil war was breaking out, um, the Communist Party of China decided okay we uh, we're gonna hold hold on to Manchuria. Because it's such important, uh, such an important area, and and the the plan was to hold out, uh, hold off, uh, to hold hold the line at the Great Wall of China, and and because Manchuria it's you know, it's uh, it's it's uh, on the north side, it borders Soviet Union, right? It could receive a lot of supplies and, and support directly from Soviet Union, so it, it felt that. You know, the, the communists they must retain control of Manchuria, but the Chiang Kai-shek wouldn't budge on this issue. He wanted Manchuria all for himself, and and in nineteen uh, so very soon after the war, um, in in uh, late nineteen forty five, early nineteen forty six, the full civil war break out. Um, they the, the KMT forces they landed near the near the Great Wall, and they um, start pushing north. Now, at this time, the, the communist forces they have a, a taken control of the cities. Um, you know, basically, the Soviet Red Army just let them let the the, the the Chinese communists control most of the territory in Manchuria, and also there was a question about. What to do with all the puppet um, army and of you know former all these um, all these uh, pu- uh, uh, the, the the people that used to work for the the Japanese puppet government right in Manchukuo and, and and initially the the communists allowed incor- allow these uh, these forces to 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 join up um, and but but. As the KMT was pushing north, you know the, the KMT uh, was gaining ground. These these uh, these troops quickly switch side, right? <laughs> they 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 see which wind way the wind was blowing. Uh, these former puppet troops then switch side to the side of the KMT, and and you know KMT enjoy a huge uh, numerical numeric and military advantage they have the best american equipments they have uh, they have a larger uh, larger force right they send uh, an, uh, um, a half million men whereas the communists initially they're only sending a hundred thousand men into material and then uh, a, a pitch battle that was fought in the in the city of sipin so in uh, si Ping is kind of um it's it's just a little bit uh it's so siping is is a, is a city sitting on the railway linking north and south manchuria and it, it, it guards a gateway to uh the former capital of the 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 um the, the japanese puppet manchuria in manchuria um so the, the 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 goal for the communist party of china was Originally was based there forming a new capital in um, in Changchun. So Changchun was the capital of the uh, of the Jap- So after Japanese took over Manchuria, right? They they set up a puppet government uh, called Manchu Guo and they took um, they invited over the last emperor of China, Puyi, to be the emperor of of uh, this uh, this puppet state of Manchu Guo with its capital in Changchun in the in the heart of Manchuria and and the original plan for the communist party was to take over uh, Changchun the cap the, the capital of former Manchu Guo, turning into the capital of a uh, of new communist state right and then to to guard the approach to Changchun they had to hold the city of Siping Right on the railroad link. And both the communists and the KMT forces throwing their, their best troops into Siping. The, the communists were defending, and the, 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 the nationalists, the KMT forces, were attacking. Uh, this was one of the major battles in, in the early phase of the, the Chinese Civil War. What the communists discovered was that, you know, the, the the KMT forces had they had overwhelming firepower. I mean, like, like I remember uh, watching a documentary that where they interview uh, old veteran of uh, 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 the, the the Chinese communist army. They what they the the, the first battle in Songhaeguan, one the the pass near the Great Wall. They were they were shock and awe because. They have never seen that kind of power, firepower, even uh, during the war against, against Japan. Because even the Japanese didn't have that kind of firepower. These KMT forces, they were backed by, uh, you know, they they had the brand new American equipments, right? And they have they have much, they possess much more firepower than even the, the Imperial Japanese Army. Right? and and what the Communists had, they, they only had weapons they they, they basically uh, took over from the from the Japanese arsenals. So they quickly fall back uh, and they fought a, a, a hard battle in battle of si Ping, but the the difference the power differential was too great and then the communists in, at the last minute, the communist commander Lin Biao he decided to retreat because his force was at, at um, the the KMT forces was threatening to cut off his, his retreat and completely surround the communist forces there and, and at this point he decided to retreat but during the retreat um, one of the a, all the top a defected to the to the KMT side. If you revealed to the KMT that you know the the um the, the communist line was near collapsing um, they, they were pre- retreating rapidly there were no like it was not a war to an ambush right so so the KMT forces were were able to um going in hard pursuit uh in hot pursuit so 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 the the the, 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 the Communist they, you know, KMT quickly took over a huge swath of Manchuria, uh, you know, the, the countries weren't able to hold hold the capital, Chongchun. They had to fall back, even further back into northern Manchuria near the Soviet Union border. And at one point, they were even preparing to withdraw into Soviet Union. Um, and But the, then the KMT ran into a problem. Because the the Manchuria is such a huge place, you know. Every time they take over uh, a new town or new city, they have to leave a portion of their forces to garrison the the, the city. Because remember, at this time, Manchuria has been um, has been occupied by Japan since 1931. So it's been 14 years, right? You know, KMT didn't have any. Um, they they didn't have any ties on the ground so they had to uh, militarily occupy it and and when they take over a new territory and and, and, and sending more troops to occupy it they're actually starting to spread thin and and there was a com uh, and the, and the Manchuria being been so large right that you know, Bulk of the communist forces retreated into northern Manchuria, but there's still a um, a group of communist uh, forces that regroup in southern Manchuria on the border with North Korea. So you, you remember um, at the end of the war, Soviet so the Soviet Union and the United States they had a deal to divide up Korea along the 38th parallel, and uh, uh, you know North. North part, north part of Korea will be, I mean, under administered by the Soviet Union, by the Soviet Red Army, and the southern part of Korea will be uh, administered by the U.S. So the Soviet actually abide by the deal; they they stopped their advance at the thirty eighth parallel, even though they could have pushed through uh, and and took over the entire Korean Peninsula, and you know that allowed uh, basically. Kim Yo-sun to return to Korea and set up his, his government in North Korea, the DPRK. Um, now, you know, basically DPRK became a haven for the, the Chinese communist forces fighting the KMT because they, can just retreat, um, because they can just retreat into DPRK and then after the KMT forces retreated, they come back to harass the KMT from the rear so, so the 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 P.M.T. were never able to um, get rid of this threat to their rear, so they couldn't concentrate their full-on attack on on kicking the communists out of Northern Manchuria. Uh, and 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 then at this time, George Marshall, uh, you know, of Marshall Plan fame, he came to China. He. Uh, was a U.S representative uh appointed by chairman to to basically urge two sides to come to political negotiation uh, uh, political negotiation and in this way Chiang kai She was forced to stop his offensive in Manchuria because you know uh U.S held a lot of uh, leverage like like U.S um, supply all the weapons and and all the all the funds for, for kmt army to operate and uh, as i mentioned earlier you know it was not in u.s interest to see china break out in a full civil war he uh, wanted a Jiang Kai led chinese government that was uh, aligned with the u.s right so george marshall once again, urged the communists and the KMT to sit down and talk. And he kind of forced Chiang kai hand to help the offensive in Manchuria. And this actually allowed, um, finally, allow some breathing time for the communist forces to regroup into nor- in, in northern Manchuria and... The commander, the India, who was a protege of Mao, um, he gathered his forces uh, and, and this is a point where it will, like, he implements reforms that will make a huge difference in the coming war. Um, because during the war against Japan, the Communist Party pursued what's called the United Front policy. And nowadays, you know, like in the national national security circles and and the U.S. intelligence community, they talk about the Chinese United Front as this like scary boogeyman that's gonna sub subvert the Western democracy, etc. Right? But United Front was actually originally came about during the resistance against Japan. It was um, it's supposed to be a co- coalition of all. Forces in the Chinese society to unite them against the Japanese aggression, Um, because basically, you know, Mao said, "Look, uh, right now, uh, the biggest enemy is the Japanese imperialism." Right? We, we, so the communists were able to, were willing to put aside, uh, you know, restructuring of society and the class struggle in order to unite all classes in China. Against the Japanese aggression, um, so so you know this, in this coalition, coalition so called united front that that including you know landlords, capitalists, you know anyone who was who, who is willing to fight the Japanese. But after the war, after the war with Japan was won, things now look different, right? So. You know, now we have, you have the communists and the KMT. Um, before, it was a very easy choices for for people to side with the communists because, you know, you don't want to side with the Japanese. There, there were no KMT forces or KMT-aligned, very little KMT-aligned forces in the Japanese-occupied territory because those, those forces were wiped out by, by Japan. And, and so to, to not to be a traitor, that means you work with the Chinese communists. But now, you know, KMT is still officially the legitimate government of, of China, right? Why should you side with, uh, you know, both both, both the K, communists uh, and the KMT, they're, they're both Chinese, you know? Given the choice, why would, you know, the common people side with the communists versus the KMT government, right? I mean... Uh, in Manchuria, actually, initially, you know, uh, people welcomed the communist forces because they were um, tired of the Japanese occupation. But when the KMT forces pulled up, they're like, "Oh wait, this is a legitimate Chinese government, <laughs> right? <laughs> we should. This is this is the side we should perhaps we should support." So the Lin Biao in 1946 was faced with this dilemma, and. Uh, to resolve this, this is when the communists will, will start the land reform. Right. So in the, in the communist controlled areas, they decided to, uh, implement uh, land reform. There were two, two, two important policies. One is land reform. One is wiping out uh, the local bandits. Um, you know, after the Soviet invasion of uh, Manchuria, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of chaos on the ground. You know, there was there were a lot, lot of weapons, uh, you know, Japanese era weapons floating around. A lot of the former uh, Japanese collaborators and and the puppet troops, some of them uh, decided to, you know, just become bandits. Right. Taking their weapons and become bandits. Um, so there were, there were. So to consolidate the communist uh, control in northern Manchuria, they implemented twin policies of uh, of extermination of bandits and uh, and land reform. So so land reform means taking the land away from large landowners. Uh, you know, the, one part is easy because at the you know, when when Japan went to Manchuria, they they intend to turn Manchuria into a full colony. So they took a lot of the best land um, away from the, the Chinese peasantry and give it to the Japanese settlers. And after 1945, a lot of these Japanese uh, settlers were, were repatriated, so that the land were taken away and those were given uh, redistributed among the Chinese peasantry. But then there's still, um, you know, you know, Chinese landlords, right, who own a large percentage of the land. So, so land reform is taking the land away from uh, large land owning landlords and redistribute them among uh, landless uh, peasants and then farmers. And this give the communists huge. Uh, Huge popular support, right now. Now, common peasants actually have a reason to support the communists in the in the civil war. And remember, in 1945, a, a huge percent of the Chinese population is still rural. You know, most most of the Chinese at the time were peasants, and and through the the act of land reform, the communists were able to not only win the, the peasants over but also bind them to their side because you know the KMT support came from the land-owning class. <laughs> and when the KMT comes back, you know, they're gonna take the land back and give it back to the landowners, right? Uh, so, so so in essentially after distributing the land, you know, now the, the, the peasantries have an uh, interest to defending their own land from from landlords. Coming back with the KMT forces, and 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 this really helped uh, consolidate communist control in northern Manchuria. And then the then the communist, for, you know, with the with a few months ceasefire, the communist forces took this opportunity to wipe out all the banditries from the countryside. You know, establish security. Um, for the for the for the local common people and which won them even more support and, and with with uh with their political control stabilized uh lin biao started to train uh tra- recruit and train a new army and and you know the the, the one of the thing about this that's different about the communist party at the kmt is that they um they mobilize people, right? They mobilize masses. The coming, the the KMT rule of China is still very feudal, very um very traditional. Like the way the way how the, the traditional dynastic imperial government rule China, they, they rule through uh landed gentries, right? They through rule through the landed class uh to rule the the the, the, the mass of peasantry underneath them. Uh, but that's not the, how, how the Communist Party worked. They send in work groups into into the villages. You know, they recruit villagers into their ranks, and they set up village committees uh, to run the village affairs. And so, basically, the, the the Communists didn't rely on the landlords to rule the villages. They ruled the villages directly, and they, in this way, they were able to mobilize. Peasantry a lot more effectively, and, and also uh, it was a massive drive then to um, mobilize uh, mobilize the the, the peasant to, to join the new People's Liberation Army, and uh, there, there were anecdotal stories about how this was done. So so the village head right you know, who was tasked by the by the Communist Party to um, to Crewed all the young men in the village. He would invite all the military age uh, youth into his uh, into his home. Uh, this is Manchuria, so they they said they said in what called Kang. So so people uh, it's not a people don't sleep on regular bed. Manchuria is really it's it border Siberia. It gets really cold, so people have this uh, structure. Their their house is called kong. Basically, it's a stove, right? You you put um, uh, you, you, you cook. It's a it's a basically a huge slab of a concrete stove. You 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 put fire underneath, and you know you cook. You can cook with it, and then you know when you're not cooking, you, you, you sleep on top. You know you put mattresses on top. You sleep on top, that keeps the place warm. This is before central heating. That's how people heat their homes. Um, so normal time, you know, when you're not sleeping, it's also a place where everybody set. It's not like chairs are around. People just sit on this. It's a, it's a raised. Uh, it's a raised platform. Uh, you know, think about a huge uh, a, a oven, but except extending to cover to be like a huge platform bed, right? That you know, people just sit on because it's warm. So so what the village head will do is um, while, while giving the pep talk, you know, trying to recruit the young man, he will um, ask for volunteers to join PLA. And then then uh, he will keep on add um, he will keep on adding wood to the fire. Everybody was sitting on the con, right? Was it being heated by the by the by the fire underneath. Um, he will say, "Well, okay, like whoever wants to volunteer for PLA, you know, just stand up." Then he will keep on adding um, <laughs> adding wood to the fire. So in the end, it, it gets too hot, unbearably hot. Everybody gets everybody stand up. So so then everybody <laughs> gets recruited. So 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 in this way, you know, the Minggao were able to reform and regroup, um, and and. And um, at this point, uh, you know, like like a lot of the villages uh, were mobilized because uh, and uh, it was it was uh, it was also made easier by land reform, right? Because the, they're basically the, the peasants basically told you are you are now defending your own land, right? Many people who have never owned land now are owning land for the first time, and 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 then the when the i said i mentioned before one of the problem with the kmp is that even though they had half a million men manchuria is this huge place and when they um have to garrison each city they spread they, they, they spread themselves thin and and the communists they had also had they had uh, several advantages you know the the Mao's, um uh, you know it, Mao actually talk about this he said if you you know if you fight for land uh, you know you lose if you if you fight for land and lose people you lose both land and people if you if you preserve the people if you lose the land but preserve the people eventually you, you gain both the people and the land because the land can always be taken back right that was a communist strategy guerrilla strategy against the KMT push because they can retreat, uh, they can retreat and, 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 but they still, because they still retain the support from the populace, they can always come back. especially they have, uh, uh, you know, for places like in southern Manchuria, they could just retreat across the border into North Korea, <laughs> into DPRK, and where the KMT cannot pursue them. And and when the KMT forces inevitably withdrew, they will just come back and harass the KMT on the rear. And and the reason the KMT have to withdraw is because then the, the in northern Manchuria will start pushing pushing down south. So, so the KMT were trying to put put out fires all over, uh, but but not there. They were already kind of stretched to their limit, right? And and whereas the communists were getting stronger. Meanwhile, the war was being fought in other parts of China, like the um, uh, initially all the, the the deal with the with the um, with the with the, with the you know, with the the, the, the KMT and, and the communists deal with that, uh, you know, the communists was withdrew from their southern Chinese bases. All the communists from southern China were withdrew to, to North China communist base. And and Americans actually help uh part of the deal, you know, American ships uh departed from Hong Kong, you know, that they carried the, the southern um, the Cantonese uh, communist guerrillas from from uh, on the area from the Cantonese area to ship them to northern China, and then um, uh, but then the when the Jiang Kai shek uh, you know thought he had upper hand militarily, so he decided to invade the north northern China communist bases uh, in addition to to this war going on in Manchuria. Now, the, the difference is that the, these, uh, in northern China, the communist basis has been established for a while. You know, this is a eight years of war against Japan. The communists had a lot of popular support at grassroots level. And, and uh, I was reading the memoirs of some of the KMT the veterans, they you know, when they went to, went, went to, when the communists went to the villages, they will be supplied with food, water, and and and, and uh, by the villagers. But when the KMT come to the village, the, the villagers will try to hide from them. Because because the, the communist forces, they were locals, right? They, they came from those villages. They were like the sons and the cousins and the uncles. And... And so it's very natural for the villagers to support them, whereas the KMT were seeing as an occupation force. You know, first they came from other part of China. Right. And, you know, they, they don't have any local ties. So when um, the, the, the KMT forces come to the villages, the those northern Chinese uh, villagers, they will they will try to hide. They will hide their grain. They will hide their chickens because right? uh, their experience with the war is when when the when the outsider army coming in, they, they, they you know, they, they basically live off the land and live off the peasantry. And 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 so the, some of the KMT forces, they would when they want to the supply they will when they go to the villages, they will actually claim their communists in order to get supplies and that 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 was how how the situation was i mean um you know you show you kind of the the level of how unpopular KMT forces were right in those areas and they were basically bogged down in in this uh in this guerrilla campaign uh in in this part of china but but mao decided you know this this cannot continue for long because a lot of the war were fought in the communist areas. Uh, I mean, it was consuming the resource in the communist areas. It's bringing a lot of hardship to the people. And he decided uh, we need to bring the war to the the KMT occupied territory. So he actually ordered um, Deng Xiaoping and Liu Bochen to lead an army. Uh, from the communist base and, and and the strike south into into the into the KMT area uh, and in, in a way you also distract the the, the the KMT offensive into the communist bases and on top of that uh, the, KMT, the the communists they have infiltrated the the KMT bureaucracy at all levels um so one of the major push into the uh, into the communist uh, area was head by Jiang uh, sheks trusted general Hu Zongnan, and Hu Zongnan led half million men to capture Mao at in his, the northwest communist base in Yan'an. Uh, but what Hu Zongnan didn't know is his own personal secretary was a communist mo. So the communists had. They knew in advance all the movement of the, the KMT army, so the Mao was always one step ahead, and, and, and you know, Mao was leading a cat and mouse game, playing a cat and mouse game with the with the with the uh, KMT pursuers, um, you know, leading them through all kind of kind of t- terrains, and and you know, even though Hu Nai had a half million men, he could never caught up to Mao. Because Mao was always one step ahead because he knew the KMT plans, right? Uh, as soon as they're formed. I and mean, essentially that tied on half million uh, KMT is wandering aimlessly through the, the Chinese countryside while the the the, 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 commun- the the communist forces elsewhere were taking on the on the KMT. And in um, <clears throat> And and this this was so this was uh by ni- by end of, by 1946 and 1947 the momentum started to shift, um because you know the Manchuria was a very uh, again Manchuria was a very important battlefield and and uh, the communists gained uh they gained initiatives. They finally uh, turned from defensive into into, into going on offense. Lin Biao with his new new army, newly trained, newly regrouped. You um, know, uh, uh, another another thing what the communists have to do they have to train their army in, in, in fighting regular warfare because you know before they're more used to fight you know, guerrilla campaigns and and the, the you know the, the, they they all like. There's much often talk about human wave attack, right? Like, you know, they talk about the Chinese human wave attack in North Korea and the Korean War, etc. That's because in in the beginning, um, you know, a lot of the communist forces were were recruited straight from the the peasantry, right? there, There was not much in the way of tactics, tactical training. And so, so you know, like a lot of time, we had to rely on mass charge to kind of intimidate the enemy and overwhelming the enemy position. But Lin Biao decided that with the with the KMT arm with much American firepower, he had to adopt new tactics, and he he uh, established this called the three three system, where instead of uh, everybody group bunched together and and and, and and charge machine gun nest, which is which would turn out to be a mess. He order his troops would spread out. You know, like the three three men will form a one unit. Right, they will provide covering fire for each other, and then uh, this this group of th- then three of this group of three will become a, a unit of nine. Right, they will each cover cover each other, and 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 so this way when implemented overall the 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 army will be be spread out and yet you know providing supporting fire with each other this turned out to be very and another strategy the communists were able to use was turning over the 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 kmt prisoners of war to their side right because a lot the kmt A lot lot of the KMT soldiers actually are better educated, especially, uh, you know, the communists in the the beginning, they didn't have a lot of people who know how to operate, like, machinery, like, like artillery, especially artillery, right? Like, like, in the beginning, you know, the the communists, even if they capture a piece of artillery, because they don't um, know how to, how to work it, uh, they, they will take the artillery to, to to basically to uh, to a point blank range to fire because you know they, they they didn't have people who can you know work out the angles <laughs> to calculate the different angles to to, to, to calibre, calibrate the, the, the artillery barrage. so they would they would take a piece of artillery you know they carry it uh, to like the point blank range and blast the enemy position right um, and so they they had to, recruit from the KMT among the KMT prisoner of war and one of the way they do that is um, uh, you know, when they, they capture a large group of POW from KMT they will they will um, order them um, ha- have these sessions um, where they talk about their, their uh, life in the KMT army. So the KMT army is organized very, again like traditional style a very like a feudal army right that whereas the, the kmt officer will have kind of the absolute authority life and death authority over his uh over his c- command like basically acting like a feudal lord and whereas you know the communist forces they stress equality right they the you know the communist officers they actually, you know, there was no. They don't wear insignia. They, 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 the the communist off a commander dressed the same in the same uniform as the common soldiers, and they, you know, they it was they all eat together uh, and fight together, which was different from the KMT days. And and so they would have these P, KMT POW talk about their life in, in KMT, you know, which is in the KMT army, which is um some kind which is a form of slavery basically because these these people were being used as uh, the kmt officers personal servants and 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 it was very common for physical punishment you know like beating uh is very common uh so so the the, the communists uh they will they will have their own um soldiers talking to these prisoner prisoner of war and and in one, after one or two group sessions, you know, many of these KMT personal war volunteer to join the PLA. And so so, so they not only the communists uh, through the war, you know, the, the every time the, the KMT will lose a battle, they they will also lose men. Right. This is you know war of attrition. They, they they have less and less men, whereas the communists were gaining more and more men. So we were able to convert these KMT recruits into into PLA soldiers. And, and so by 1947, the momentum started to shift. Uh, Olympia was starting to leading offensive, launching offensive from northern Manchuria into southern Manchuria, um, and and the, 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 the base in, in, in South South Manchuria near the North Korean border was actually getting also getting bigger and bigger, and and then in the in in, in northern China where this was where another battle was being fought, um, you know, KMT <laughs> was being bogged down uh, trying to chase down Mao. Right, and then in other parts, the communist forces were able to score a surprising victory. Um, you know what? The, 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 there were some very um, there were some very talented communist commanders who emerged from the civil war era. Right, one of them is Su Yu, who. Um, uh, so in, so when when, when, force, when he was uh, faced by... So KM, in 1947, KMT basically abandoned uh, the, the, the attempt to, to do an all-out offensive against the communists because they're running out of manpower. So they decided to concentrate in three areas. One is Manchuria. Uh, another one is uh, in North West. they They tried to chase down Mao... And another theater is in Sandong province. Which, pre, uh, did you say something? I Rick? did not. No, go ahead. Rick, uh, did you want to say something?
0: No, I didn't. You're fine. You're good. Oh,
1: okay. Sorry. Um, so, in 1947, uh, the KMT decided to focus in three areas. One is Manchuria. One is in Northwest uh, w- when uh, where, uh, Chiang kai Ches protégé, Hu Zhongnan, led a half million men to chase Mao uh, through the countryside. And another offensive was led against uh, uh, the communist force in Sandong province. Because Sandong, much of the province of Sandong was under the communist control. Um, so the KMT wanted to take out this st- very strong communist area. And but the, the, the communists had a very talented commander by the name of Su Yu. So Su Yi would withdraw when the, the KMT forces come, and he will wait until um, the KMT forces get split up, you know, either uh, you know, uh, splitting up forces to garrison, or sometimes there will be gaps among the KMT, uh, different KMT units. Right, and he was wait for his opportunity to strike to to surround these isolated KMT units and wipe them out. And he was able to repeat, wash, rinse, repeat this process over and over again. Uh, in the end, uh, by the end of 1947, that the KMT offensive in Shandong was completely broken down, and and uh, th- there was another force led by the communist. Uh, uh, a general, uh, Deng Xiaoping and Liu Bocheng, that struck, that struck into the heart of the KMT-controlled territory, threatening meaning the, the KMT capital Nanjing. Um, and then, um, uh, and and then the, the war was starting to to turn for the KMT, and this is when, um, when you know Zhang Kai She was kind of uh, uh, the, to make, make the matter worse was that the, you know the most agricultural regions of you know Western China is now under the control of the Communists. Um, the, the communists started to uh, economic blockade against the KMT area so that led to hyperinflation and and to support its war effort Jiang uh, kai She decided to print a lot of money. Right and, and which just led to hyperinflation, and there was a lot of discontent. I mean, all the prestige that Chiang Kai-shek built up in 1945, the end of victory against Japan, by 1947 basically evaporated. Um, and and in, in 1946, to do actually to boost his own legitimacy, he tried to call for a parliamentary election. Right, but but specifically, he excluded the communists and all the left-wing uh, political parties, and and but you know everybody know that was just a big leap for for the KMT, and but that's actually the only election ever held by the KMT, uh, even even after they retreat to Taiwan, you know that that's the the same parliament continued to rule until nineteen. 19- like 1980s 1990s um and 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 the the um and in 1947 that's when um you know KMT was basically trying to redirect all the resources into the civil war that's also the time when uh you know the, the you know uprising broke out in Taiwan against the KMT rule which i had talked about with jung the taiwan history series because you know there there were just a popular discontent with the kmt rule all over china and and that only kind of accelerated the fall because like i like i mentioned you know kmt is a very it's a conservative right-wing uh government that that didn't have a lot of popular support, so a lot of progressive youth you know, they joined the communist underground, and that's one of the reasons why you know the KMT bureaucracy and the KMT intelligence, KMT uh, military was all infiltrated by the communist spy networks. Um, so they, they, the, the communist was always a step ahead, right? Like, um, and 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 nineteen forty seven. Nibel went down offensive and, and he started to um, to basically the, the Communists by end of 1947 took out took most of the countryside in Manchuria. Again, it's kind of it's a case of countryside surrounding the city. The, the, just like the the, the occupying Japanese uh, the Kiki the in Manchuria they were limited to controlling major cities and a uh, major transportation line, like the railway links between the cities. All the countryside fell to the communists, especially after the communists started land reform, which won won over the, the, the peasantry. Um, now, now, this is... I do want to talk about land reform a little bit, because, uh, you know, when we... In U.S., a lot of time when the the communist, Chinese communist land reform was talked about, it was all, all often talk about how how Mao killed a million landlords. That's supposed yeah. to show like the, the communist brutality, right? But um, you know, the the, the 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 fact is that the, the, the life in the Chinese countryside was very very hard and you know the, the lot of the peasant, you know, the majority of the chinese peasantry they, they were tenant farmers they, they they didn't own their land so they were literally being exploited by their labor and they have to give up a huge uh per uh, you know huge percent of their yield had was handed over to landlord i mean anywhere from like 80 to 90% of the harvest Was handed over to the landlord. I mean, they they lead a very subsistent. They only they barely have enough, like to feed their own families, right? And and like that's during the good years. I mean, if there's a if there's a drought or a there was if if there's any kind of natural disaster or or a reduction in harvest, they they face famine, and that's that's a like famine was a regular occurrence. In China before 1949, uh, and this is this is a fact that's not denied by by anybody. There, you, you have talked about the film 1942 before, right? That that was uh, or 1943. I forgot. That was uh, the film about the famine during the Japanese occupation period, um, but in the KMT control territory, and that famine was revealed uh, to the world actually by American journalist Theodore White. Because uh, KMT, uh, uh, Chiang kai She at the time was trying to cover up the famine. Um, But, uh, you know, the the American journalists actually went to the area and uncovered the the, the gigantic scale of famine. Several million people died from the famine. Uh, uh, And this was just not an isolated incident. There was a famine in 1946. Uh, You know, at the time, there were a lot of American journalists covering China at the time. You know, if you search... China famine, 1946, 1943, you, you will be able to find a lot of horrifying pictures. And and the, the point is, famine occur on such regular basis, you know, every few years. And and the fact that, the you know, the Chinese population didn't grow from the end of Qing Dynasty to 1949. I mean, like, there are about 400 million Chinese uh, at the end of... Uh, Second Opium War, eighteen sixty, right? Uh, from eighteen sixty to 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 nine to to nineteen forties. I mean, this is a span of almost hundred years. The Chinese population didn't grow because of constant war, famine, plague, and and the, the you know the the, the land owning class bear a large responsibility for this. They, they're basically, you know, they, <laughs> they, they're they living off the labor of, of their tenant farmers while they produce nothing, right? So so the communists actually had a large appeal when they initiated the land reform. I mean, granted, there are excesses in the land reform. A lot of the land reform was carried out um, in a, a village level, village by village, and and you know there, there was a lot of anger, right? You know, the, the villagers fell toward their, their landlord. So so there' undeniably there were ex- excesses, you know, there were cases where you know a landlord were executed, and the landlord's family been mistreated. There, there's, there's no denying that, but you have to understand the context, the, the context is that the, the the centuries of exploitation and and the, the the really pent up anger that always existed in the in the in the Chinese countryside. This was the land reform kind of opened up the floodgate, right? Um, and and another thing to keep in mind that is the land reform was hugely popular in China. Um, like this, you know, when when nine at the time ninety percent of the Chinese population was rural and and and, and peasants, right? And, and 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 many people welcome the, the land reform. So you know we can talk about how Mao killed landlords or, or or what 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 not, but but it, it cannot be denied that, that that was a huge popular move. That's what actually won the Chinese civil war for the communists. That's how they won the popular sport. Um, do you have any questions?
0: No, I don't. Go ahead. Okay, and oh wait wait i do yes uh, maybe you're going to get there because my understanding is that the kmt fled to taiwan in the end
1: and that's why we yes. have the issue
0: yes. with taiwan
1: yes so the civil war went on several years um you know it began basically immediately after the war in 1945 uh after the after World war ii in 1945 and then Uh, You went on, uh, you you, you broke, you know, 1946, 1947 was uh, was years of uh, offensive when KMT went on offensive. But by my middle 1947, the communists were able to turn the tide and they wiped out a large, uh, large number of KMT units. And uh, both in Manchuria and northern China. And then, and then, by 1948, um, by 1948, the communist forces in um, control control large part of Manchurian countryside and the northern China countryside north of the Yangtze River. So <clears throat> the the KMT were holed up in large cities like Beijing, right, Tianjin. Um, and uh, and various cities in Manchuria. So, so in 1940, end of 1948, uh, Mao decided to launch the final campaign to to go on offensive to, to, to take out the Kim military power in nor- North China. And 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 at this time, Kim um, in, in Manchuria, he had one million troops, one million troops under his command. And he, he actually enjoyed both numerical advantage and and firepower over the the KMT at the time. What only thing the communists didn't have they didn't have a strong air force. You know the the the, the, the KMT have the American trained and the American supplied uh, air force that could launch bombing run against against uh, they, they 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 control the sky, but but. On the ground, the communists already have overwhelming uh, advantage uh, in in regional in, in regions like Manchuria and and the, the Lin Biao. He did. The, he was convinced. You know, Mao ordered Lin Biao to to execute a risky move maneuver. Basically, he ordered the Lin Biao leading his one million man troops to out of northern Manchuria to. To uh, do a pincer attack, to uh, basically uh, do an attack just north of the Great Wall, basically cut off the supply line into Manchuria via land, and to to completely isolate the KMT forces in Manchuria into isolated pockets, and and they and and the you know KMT threw all their forces uh, into the shadow of Jinzhou, and then and then K- communists were able to take this very strategic town just outside the great wall and basically cut off Manchuria from the rest of the north china and and from, from then on the, the kmt forces could only be supplied by air or by by ship and and then um, and the communists they completely surrounded the this the, the, the city of Changchun. but the but but Lin did, didn't, uh dis, you know, decide to settle down for a siege, because they had, uh, they had such bad experience with urban, urban fighting. You know, the the the, 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 the city of Siping, which previously communists have defended, um, in a seesaw battleground. You know they, they, the, the Siping was fought over. Four times, you know, exchanged hands many times between the communists and, and the, the KMT, and and the communists had to learn, you know, through trial on by fire the urban warfare, and mm-hmm. and and eventually though they, they did take uh, the city of Siping. They cut off, uh, basically, cut off the the, the the KMT garrisons in different big cities in Manchuria put them under siege um and 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 then in the in the in the uh in the uh in, in a huge campaign in the huge manchurian campaign he cut off the escape route for the for the kmp forces um to escape out of the wall and then then uh isolated in his pockets he was able to um, you know the 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 KMT for 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 a year were holed up in these cities they're scared to come out because they, they, they cannot match the communists in the field battle. But in the last ditch effort, the KMT tried to break out, right? They tried to make a run for it and and they were wiped out and, and, and the and all Manchuria fall into the communist hands. Now remember, Manchuria had ninety percent of China's industrial output. So now, communists suddenly became the industrial power in China, and and now they had control of railroads. They can they can ship troops, uh, by rail. And and at, at that time, the the uh, communist troops in northern China, PLA, already put big cities like Beijing under siege. You know, had Beijing surrounded. And, and now, with the uh, one million man, fresh troops from Manchuria pouring through the Great Wall, they completely cut off the the the, the KMT North China garrison in Beijing, um, and 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 that's that's a point where <clears throat> um, simultaneously they wage uh, another Huaihai uh, campaign, which was the most decisive campaign. In the war, where 600,000 uh, people, liberation troops, uh, fought against eight, 800,000 um, KMT forces. Now you ask, how could uh, a much smaller communist force take on a much larger KMT force, right? Um, that's because they, they would, uh, <laughs> instead of, they would carve them up and, and take them on piecemeal, and, and remember, the, the communists, they, they have this uh, ability to convert the KMT prisoner of war into PLA soldiers, which the, the, the KMT were not able to do, by the way. So um, the Hawaii campaign was was very bloody. I mean, at one point, um, you know, the, the casualty rate of, of some, some um, communist units were... You know, over hundred oh, uh, percent, and you say, well, how can it be over hundred percent, right? Because, at, like a unit that the, 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 the a communist unit, the, the PLA unit that started the war. By the end of the war, all the units were actually former KMG prison of war, right? All the old communist uh, soldiers were already killed, but they were able to replenish. Splintered themselves by coding the, the KMT vectors into into the ranks um, that keep the war war effort going. And in the Huaihai campaign, which was conducted just north of uh, north of Yangtze River, north of Shanghai, um, the eight hundred thousand KMT forces was wiped out, and that was the large the last major uh, KMT forces north of Yangtze River. And the, 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 the KMT, at the time, the KMT still had between three hundred to 400,000 troops trapped in Beijing uh, and Tianjin. So the, the Lin Biao's army from Manchuria, they quickly took the core city of Tianjin, which basically cut off the escape route by sea. And the KMT garrison in Beijing... Uh, under the general Fu Zhuoyi, and they saw the writing on the wall. They decided to uh, defect the Communists, and the Beijing was liberated, liberated peacefully. Um, and this was 1949. Uh, by that time, the Communists controlled the entirety of North China, and north of Yangtze River, and 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 then the they. No, the the KMT basically lost the ability to to hold the Communists to North China because most of their troops were wiped out either in Manchuria or Northern China. So the Communists were able to cross cross Yangtze River in mass, uh, and and they were able to advance very quickly. You know, to Shanghai, to um, to to Shanghai, Wuhan, Guangzhou. Within span of a year, you know, by the end of 1949, uh, KMT forces basically got pushed out of mainland China. They they, they escaped. Chiang Kai-shek uh, flew to Taiwan, right, Be, became its last holdout. And and the, the KMT garrison in Xinjiang in northwest also surrendered. Um and at, at nineteen by so nineteen forty forty nine, uh, the most of China, with exception of Tibet, under the Chinese Communist uh, troop control. And then in nineteen fifty, the the PLA went into Tibet, and 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 then they signed the the seventy point agreement uh, between the central government and Dalai Lama's uh, government in Assa so that incorporated Tibet into People's Republic of China. So so in on October first, nineteen forty nine, Mao stood on the gate of uh Tiananmen and announced the establishment of the People's Republic of China. And I think this is a good point to stop.
0: Yeah this point yeah I, I agree I have so many questions though so I' will save them for the next episode <laughs>
1: but, yeah I mean this is uh, this is we're gonna launch a, a, a basically into a new chapter uh, of uh, Chinese history here. this is I mean this is really the first time since the end of Qin Dynasty, since 1911 Chinese Revolution that China was become finally uh, really united. As I mentioned before, after 1911, uh, the Qing Empire fell into pieces, uh, you know, like it was uh, different warlords controlled different parts. It, you know, even after Chiang Kai-shek came to power, uh, you know, that, you know, it's only China was only nominally united. I mean, the facts on the ground is that, you know, a lot of warlords still control their own little fiefdom and run their, their local uh uh, uh the, their controlled area like their own kingdom. Yeah, you know, and and go ahead. and nineteen. So, so nineteen forty nine, the founding of PRC marked a, a drastic shift from the past, and and you know, for the first time in nearly half century, China was united again under a, a effective central government, uh, under a very effective party. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, KMT, uh, because. Because it's uh, it's feudal structure, it's not never really very effective. Uh, it, it, you barely even control half of China at any time, and and uh, so we are now going to launch into a new chapter of China, which we hope to talk about next time. We-
0: yeah, I think um, no, we always talk about movies, you know, me and you, um, but. I think within a week ago or two weeks ago, I saw The Last Emperor. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. Yeah. So I was like thinking about our series and watching that movie and, you know. um, But yeah, what do you think about it? Do you recommend that movie or? Oh, who? Do you recommend The Last Emperor? Do you recommend it? Yeah,
1: that's a that's a famous movie uh, by Italian director that was filmed in like late 1980s. So, so they actually allowed the film crew to film inside the actual Forbidden City, the the, the Imperial Palace, and uh, I, I it was actually based on the biography of the last Emperor Puyi himself. So Puyi was. Uh, when he was he was enthroned as a, the Chinese emperor when he was a child, but then then the Chinese revolution broke out in 1911, and he was uh, he was still a baby basically he was still a child. But when the Japanese came in 1931 with Japanese Manchuria in 1931, they invited him over and made him the puppet head of Manchuria, right? And mm-hmm. then um, after the Soviet invasion of Manchuria, he was actually captured and and sent over to a prison into Siberia after the people's Republic was established the you know, Soviet handed over puyi with the rest of the uh you know the, the, the Chinese collaborators of the Japanese regime, and and puyi was put into like a a, a prison basically uh, and then then puyi was uh, been re-educated, right? And then, and then, and he after his re- after several years, he was released, and he worked as basically, uh, he worked to kind of document the history, and he actually wrote a a, a, a biography, an autobiography of his life. So, so the last emperor was based on Puyi's autobiography.
0: Yeah, it was really like it's so interesting that it goes from like the the last dynasty to Japanese occupation. To you know, the communist revolution during the whole movie, you know, and I was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool," you know. So, yeah,
1: yeah, you cover much of what we just talk about, um. Um, because he 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 actually lived through it, right? He was a he was a basically actor, uh, even though he was a puppet most of his life, and and uh, he and unlike you know, un, unlike uh, you know the, the the Russia where the Romanov were were killed. Um, after the revolution, Puyi was, was, uh, uh, Yi was, 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 he was, he he lived as a common man, right? In, in, into his, uh, uh, he, he died, he died uh, in 1960s, I think, 1965 or 1966.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, my understanding, you know, because, you know, I live in the US, so don't really teach Chinese history, <clears throat> is that, the KMT moved to, they retreated to ta- Taiwan, and they and they have a, you know, this is why we have the conflict with Taiwan today, <clears throat> because, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, because because Taiwan basically, you know, Chiang Kai shes regime was supposed to be the the U.S. client state, except that client state was supposed to cover the entirety of China, right? But that 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 dream came to an end after the. Communist victory in 1949. So so instead, Taiwan become this kind of U.S. military protectorate. I mean, U.S. US stationed military force on Taiwan from 1950s until 1979. Um, I mean, like the U.S. had basically it was like Taiwan was like Okinawa until 1979. You know, U.S. had bases there. Um, i actually talked to um a, a a guy who used to work in the uh as a maintenance crew on the taiwanese uh, air force he was a, a a maintenance crew on the taiwanese air base and he talked about the american airmen who stayed in in, uh, in taiwan basically he said yeah like they will, when they when they had to um do like uh, uh major fixes uh, on the planes they would not Allowed the Chinese uh, maintenance crew to come near, right? Just, you know, they they still, cause he, he felt he really felt like deeply humiliated because, like uh, ostensibly, US is supposed to be an ally, but uh, at the end, he felt Taiwan is just like a colony of US.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's weird because I I have you know some friends you know, here and there, and, and, you know, I'll be like, oh, so, they'll be, I'll be like, where are you from? And they'll be like, oh, I'm, you know, from Taiwan. I'll be like, oh, you're Chinese. And they'll be like, I'm not Chinese, I'm Taiwanese. I'm like, what what the <laughs> fuck, you know? But I'm like, whatever, dude, like, if they want to... I actually
1: just did another uh, reporting with a Taiwanese uh, communist rapper, Xiang We actually talk about this. this. This identity shift actually happened very recent. This, like, up to 1980 to 1990s, most people in Taiwan still identify as Chinese. Um, I don't know if you heard heard about that song that went viral on, on, on Internet, uh, on TikTok. It's called uh now uh, people call it uh what is it? Uh Xiao Xiao. basically started as this uh a Chinese man with a egg shaped head singing this song and, and then he just went viral on TikTok and, and Twitter. And, and now like, um, because that song was, uh, now a lot of people go listen to it on, on YouTube. I saw a lot of comments on Twitter and YouTube and Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, TikTok. Tik some, some Taiwanese person say, Oh, that's not a Chinese song. That's a, that's a Taiwanese song by a Taiwanese singer. But I'm like, dude, that song originally came out in 1980s. It was, it was a theme song of a Taiwan drama. Uh, in 1984 and and the, the the drama itself was based in 1930s mainland China right yeah. and the, the singer himself used to sing uh my Chinese art you know uh, perform on mainland China like before 19 1920s 19 uh, before I mean, before 1980s and 1990s most people in Taiwan uh, refer to themselves as identify as Chinese it would not even be an issue I mean it's, the, the, the shift only happened after 1990s and I I and uh, the Communist, uh, communist, communist actually explore this, this identity shift and a lot, large part of it is because the the, 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 the part the, the Taiwanese political party that represented the, the petit bourgeois uh, interest the, the the DPP the Democratic Progressive Party, they try in, in the in the Taiwanese democratic transition. They 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 in order to win votes, they play a divide and conquer strategy. They they, they try to in order to win votes, they uh, play identity politics. Right? Yeah. They they try to 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 construct this this Taiwan identity as separate from the Chinese identity, and that's how. How this all came about it all came about in the last
0: 20 thirty years, yeah I agree yeah it almost seems like they're they're trying I, I'm not an expert but from the outside it seems like the Taiwanese government is trying to create like a Taiwanese nationalism you know to prevent unification with China it's kind of like what's yes. going on with Hong Kong now right like yes. we're Hong yes. Kong yes. but then you talk to my like my stepdad. That was, you know, grew up in, born in Hong Kong, grew up in Hong Kong. <clears throat> he would say he's Chinese. Yeah, he's from Hong Kong. He's, you know, he's been he speaks uh, Cantonese, but he would never say he would never say I'm Hong Kongese. Like what the fuck, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's kind of uh, weird.
1: I mean, like this. This is uh. I mean, I mean, this is this is we we are in, definitely entering into a new era. I mean, I, I. Like on, before, I mean, I came to United States in 1990, right? I and mean, I remember that time it was like, yes, you know, you may be from Hong Kong or Taiwan, but we're all Chinese, right? I mean, there was no, like, there was no, the local identity didn't uh, conflict with the overall identity of Chinese, but that, that's, that's been played up right now for, by people for political purposes, and I, I do highly recommend people to listen to my recent episode with uh, Xiang Yu about how this shift came about.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I th- yeah. I, I thank you for that. You know, I think um, this is why it's important to hear why Taiwan is in the position it is. Because it is because there's a history behind it, and we, you just talked about it. You know what I'm saying? So yes. yeah, yes. thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope through our talks, I mean, I, I this is really just a general introductory into the Chinese modern history. Uh, there's a lot more details which we didn't have time to get into, but I hope it gives people a, a broader historical context, right? How we arrive at the world today.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but um, yeah, so people, I'll, I'll, I will give this recording to you and then... <clears throat> People can listen to it, your patrons, and then I'll release it after. So I appreciate Perfect. it. So thank you for coming on, and don't don't hang up. Uh, but don't um. Thank you for thank you for coming on, and you know we'll we'll, we'll continue this soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you again for inviting me, inviting me to the show, and I look forward to our next recording when we talk about uh, the history under PRC under People's Republic of China.
0: Yes, thank you.